You're listening to More in the Morning on News Talk 1010 Toronto. On the morning brief this morning to offer insight and context, Laura Babcock from Power Group Communications and The O Show. Nice to have you. Good morning. Thanks, John. Good morning to you. I know there are going to be a lot of stories like this over the coming year, maybe two years, but uh, a very eloquent tribute, I guess, to a row of Greek town businesses that are being expropriated for the Ontario line. Yeah, it was a beautiful tribute. And to hear the history of this particular bakery and just the way that it continues to be used by people on the Danforth, it's sad. You know, when you think of the Ontario line coming in, it's almost like a scar going to be ripped across parts of the city. Um, But, you know, we talked a little while ago, John, about the fact that tourism in Toronto is just not up to snuff, hasn't returned to pre-pandemic levels. And the population of Toronto is set to go up by about 2 million people from now to when the Ontario line is supposed to be complete. And if you travel to other cities, as I've recently done in Europe, they have much more extensive subway systems. It's much easier to navigate and get around. It's safer, faster. So, you know, Toronto talks a lot about being an international city and a world-class city. And unfortunately, this is what's involved. But I think for this particular family, they're doing the right thing. They're getting attention to it. It's going to help them fight for a market rate for Metrolinx for their business. And hopefully they're able to find somewhere they can relocate and and Metrolinx can assist these businesses with whatever kind of marketing and promotion that they need to let people know where they can find them going forward. And I understand why they would be signed to non-disclosure agreements, but it also guarantees we'll never know. So we can't even do a comparison and see if they're getting fair value. Yeah, I mean, they're talking about going to court, and I think we're going to see lots of businesses do that. I mean, expropriation of lands happens, right? It's happening with the LRT in Hamilton. It happened for a stadium that never got built at a location, so it was kind of a waste here in that regard. So what you hope is if the cities are going to do this, the government's going to do this, provincially Metrolinx, that they pay people fairly that they do what they can. It's a role for the local board of trade, right? To get up there like they're doing here with the LRT and and really get in there and say, hey, we can help businesses relocate. We can help them market when they go offline. Some of these more traditional businesses possibly were always word of mouth. And so they need that kind of support. So Metrolinx can do a lot, um, but sometimes lawsuits are what it takes to get their attention. Uh, Brian Lilly has prepared in the Toronto Sun a master list of all of the questionable uh, street names in Toronto that might be in jeopardy, and it just goes on forever. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, not ridiculous that we've got all these names because it was at a different time and people had different values and they were naming a bunch of streets and some of them they named after people who really shouldn't be recognized publicly because of their positions on things back in the day. But I've always made a distinction between, you know, having a large statue of someone who has an egregious record that people have to go by and look up to that represents, you know, crushing down uh, populations or, or terrible things and having a street sign. I mean, you cannot just rip up every street in Toronto that has a sign that person back in the day was not someone we would consider of good character in our modern times. You know, leave the street signs. Things like Dundas Square, sure, make it Gordon Lightfoot Square. That sends a statement that you understand history and you understand current values. But I'm not for going through every single street and changing it because we're different now than we were then. Well, and also, I think it's worth noting, most of us have no idea who half of these people are. I don't know who John Street was named after, and I really don't care. I just, you know, well, I think John is a fine name. 
Um, <laughs> what do you, I thought it was named after you, John. <laughs> what do you make of Canadians being told to boycott social media, Facebook in particular, apparently, tomorrow and uh, Thursday? It's not going to be a net loss for me if I do it. I'm fairly lazy about social media anyway. I don't really use uh, Meta or Insta- so Facebook or Instagram all that often. I tend to be more on the platform formerly known as Twitter. But I do understand that people use it a lot. And a lot of people who are on Facebook in particular, I believe, are an older demographic. And they get their family news and their contact information. And they share a lot on that platform. So for Canadians to stop doing it for two days, will it make a big difference to Meta? Probably not. Are there going to be people during this the wildfires that are going on who are going to find added anxiety by not being able to communicate on the platform. I mean, go ahead, try it. Send them a little signal of protest that you don't like that they're not negotiating with the government. Um, but I don't think it's going to make much of a difference, John, any more than when people change their, you know, their avatars on Twitter to a different color or whatever. Like these, these things are a drop in the bucket to companies like Meta. I must say, I do use social media to keep up with your family. And uh, <laughs> what was it? The Doro Rebel, the chef, was uh, he didn't prepare like a five course meal the other day for your friends? Yes, yes. Our friends in, who gave us their apartment in Paris for a little bit, uh, he created a beautiful five course traditional French meal and started with gougères, which he's never made before, shoe pastry. So they were quite blown away by that authentic uh, taste from Paris. It was pretty exciting. I think a lot of families would be very enriched by having a 14-year-old professional chef preparing their food all the time. Must give you all kinds of time to do other things, and then you eat well. Okay, so back to the news. Um, Queen song Fat Bottomed Girls was left out of a Greatest Hits release. Now, let's throw a little context into this. This particular Greatest Hits package is for kids, so they just decided that maybe Fat Bottomed Girls was going to lead to teasing and silliness. You know what, like Queen is Queen. There's so many themes through their music, uh, like any other kind of rock and roll and, and music of its time to take a song like that out. I don't think it makes much sense. If you're going to have kids listening to Queen, they're, they're going to be listening to Queen. They can watch the movie and understand all that was going on with the band. So I'm not a fan of kind of cleaning up <laughs> things historically, right? Like this is the band, this is their music. That was a huge hit. Uh, so you know what? And then explain it to them. What I've always done with my kids is say, I can't stop the fire hose of information that's coming at you, but I can get you to have some critical thinking skills and to talk to me about anything that you find weird or different or odd or disturbing. I mean, have a conversation with your kids. Don't take it off the list. Uh, There's an interesting case where a doctor is suing Queen's University for allegedly pushing him out of his job. He was a big promoter of controversial COVID opinions during the pandemic. I always suspect in stories like this, it goes beyond like, we're really ticked off about your COVID opinion and maybe he just wasn't suitable for the job. But, you know, it's not for us to measure. Well, what disturbs me about this is how important it was for for health officials really at that time to promote the idea of community safety, right? Of public health. And and what was decided at the time, even though it was extremely difficult, were certain policies where if people followed them, it would help Canada catch up, get ahead of, protect its most vulnerable patients, you know, get ahead of this global pandemic. And we fared pretty well as a country coming out of it in terms of deaths and our COVID response, even though there are things you can argue with, we had too many lockdowns, et cetera. But to be a medical 
professional at kind of the height, the dark days of the pandemic, and to be publicly putting things out there that undermine the public health directives, I can see why he got disciplined. And he can, you know, he can follow it up. He can take it to court. Then it, they can vet out all of those nuances, John, as you're talking about, what else might have been going on with his performance, et cetera. But, you know, if, if you are in a public health capacity during a pandemic that is killing people. You can't just go rogue and post stuff on Twitter and expect no consequences because you're undermining your other professionals and your colleagues. And your quick thoughts on a story I was just talking about a little while ago, a man applying for his law license who sexually abused kids previously, but apparently he's now in remission. Uh, well, not only did I choke on the idea of good character, that they find him of good character, but when you read a little further, it's not just that there were three incidences of uh, abusing children in his past, it's that he wouldn't, he didn't disclose them. He, did, he wasn't honest. So now you've got somebody who not only was engaging in this terrible behavior, but he also was covering it up. How is that good character, John? You do not give people who hurt children positions of power, and being a lawyer is a position of power. Thanks a lot for this, Laura. Good to have your analysis this morning. My pleasure, John. Laura Babcock, News Talk 1010 contributor. She has a company called Power Group Communications. Coming up in the next half hour, it's a Tech Tuesday, so at 6.50, Carmi Levy, our tech expert, will join us. Amongst other things, not only did Elon Musk cashier like half the employees at Twitter, now he's selling off the contents of their headquarters.